people feel a certain way about what happened to Florida State. And guess what? There was no right answer. There was a lesser of two evils. Hello and welcome in. It is a Thursday edition of Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have had a terrific start to your week. I know the week has been better for some than others in particular. I understand that, which is why we're going to discuss what's going on currently with the Florida State Seminoles. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to disagree. Reasonable people over the course of time have disagreed. I'm going to tell you why it's going to be okay. It's also okay to change your mind. Everything's going to work out just fine for the Seminoles, I can assure you. And especially in the 12-team playoff era, they are in prime position to secure a bye almost annually if they can continue on their ascent. We're also going to talk about the Heisman Trophy. Very much looking forward to our discussion about what these candidates are, who should win, who will win, and who should be considered even though they're not in New York. It's pretty pretty. Pretty eye-opening, I guess, with how the voting process works. And to be honest with you, there's one exclusion from New York that makes absolutely no sense to me. I'll explain that here in just a little bit. We'll go through the transfer portal just a little bit too. We're going to go through a couple quarterbacks that have put their name in, a couple of guys that have already decided on their next step. We'll give you an update or two with some of those decisions as well. We will also have Booger McFarland, who will join us here in just a minute. He is very strong in support of Florida State feeling as though they got the short end of the stick. I certainly won't push back on that, but we'll have that discussion. We'll have that debate. We'll have that conversation because it's necessary here on Always College Football. So without much further ado, though, I'm going to get things kicked off by telling you why it's okay to disagree and why, even though people, even though people still can have great integrity, can have good, solid reasonable thought, it's okay to change your mind. And I'll explain in just a moment. You know, it's okay every once in a while. Every once in a while for perfectly good people, people with reasonable outtakes. uh, Let me start it over. One, two, three. You know, it's perfectly okay for you to look at a good friend of yours and say, hey, we just are going to have to agree to disagree. It's perfectly okay for people to adjust their line of thinking. It's perfectly okay to go from thinking one thing to thinking another thing. It's perfectly okay. You have that right as a human being. You do. It's the beauty of being human. It's the beauty of being right, wrong, in some cases indifferent. In this particular case, there's very few people that are indifferent. People feel a certain way about what happened to Florida State. And guess what? There was no right answer. There was a lesser of two evils. Or some of you feel as though the lesser of two evils was not taken. The popular thing to do, the more justifiable thing to do, the more just thing to do would have been to put Florida State in. They were undefeated. And frankly, for those that have watched this show for the better part of the last two months, Actually, if you want to go all the way back to August, when I said Florida State would win the ACC, when I said Florida State would make the college football playoff, I have long been a supporter of Florida State. If you want to go back multiple years, you'll be able to find my support of Mike Norvell, his hiring, trusting in him even after the Jacksonville State loss when many wanted to jump ship. 
it's okay. It's okay if you wanted to jump ship at that point. Because reasonable people can change their mind. It's okay if you booed Jordan Travis off the field. Because reasonable people can change their mind. And it's okay if at one point during November, I felt like Florida State was a shoe-in to be in the college football playoff. It's okay because reasonable people can change their mind. And it's okay if you push back on any of that. I'm perfectly good with it. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. There's not some conspiracy. I don't have a script. I don't have talking points because guess what? I work at ESPN. And you know what's really, really profitable for ESPN? Their exclusive relationship with the Atlantic Coast Conference. You know who hasn't been in the playoff in nearly a decade? Florida State. You know who's been many, many times in the last 10 years? Alabama. Having new blood has proven over the course of time to be valuable to the bottom line. All those things are okay. And you realize that ESPN holds the grant of rights for the ACC for the next 10 years. You do realize at the same time that the best football brand in the ACC is Florida State. So therefore, while the SEC is very important to ESPN, the SEC and the health of the SEC is very important to all of college football, I might add, to ESPN, Florida State is of the utmost importance. Now, I don't, you won't, don't want to think about that. I'm not going to be able to talk you out of conspiracies. If you believe that there's a conspiracy, I'm not going to be able to talk you out of that. I've been, I've been trying to convince friends of mine that the earth is not flat for years, and it hasn't changed their opinion. If they believe it's flat, they believe it's flat. Why can't we fly over Antarctica? I'm like, I don't know. Never tried. That's the pushback, and I can't convince them otherwise. But I'm going to give you a couple examples because a lot of people have said, well, they won their games. They won their games. Hang on, wait, hang on. They won all their games. And even in victory, even in victory, heaven forbid, how dare you change your mind? Well, let me just give you a couple examples of games that were played this year that even in victory, the victor might have come out of it with a different narrative about what their program might be capable of. Let's start at the top of college football. Two-time defending national champs, the Georgia Bulldogs. Had run roughshod through just about everybody over the last two years. Don't look very good against South Carolina. People start to think, oh, you know, I don't know. Not so good. Play well in the second half. But let's not let's not talk about the second half. Let's talk about the 11-point deficit they had in the first half and how Georgia needed to scramble and rally late to win the game by a convincing margin. People's opinion changed there. But it really changed when they played against Auburn. Really played. Hey, they gave up how many yards to Peyton Thorne on the ground? Why, why, if they didn't have Brock Bowers, they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't beat anybody. They're terrible. They're not good. People's opinions changed on Georgia, even in victory. What about when Washington played against Arizona State? When they needed to pick six, take it back to the house to win the game by eight points against a team at the time that just had one win. People's opinions of Washington changed. How about Washington, even when they beat Oregon? People felt like Oregon was the better team. That was a narrative. A lot of people thought that. Well, if Oregon would have just had one of those three fourth down conversions, it would have been a different outcome. Well, sure. You're right. <laughs> Perhaps. But guess what? They didn't. 
And as a result, people's opinions of Washington changed. What about USC at the time? Remember, USC was world beaters. They were undefeated. Top six, seven in the country. They play against Arizona with a backup quarterback in Noah Fafita. They go to overtime. Oh, USC stinks. They got major issues. People's opinion, even in victory, changed on the Trojans. And for the right, by the way. It was proven accurate as things went down the stretch. What about Bama? That's the team that Florida State's been measured against. How many of you felt a certain way about Alabama after the USF game? I know how I felt. I said, I don't, I don't think the margins from where they once were are as wide as they once were. I think they have to play really well to win all the games. They still can. They have to play really well to do it. But how many people jumped off the ship after Bama lost to USF? What about after Auburn? Bama won the game. Oh, but see, they're not good. They're going to get rolled by Georgia. What about Texas over Houston, TCU, Kansas State? Close margins. They must not be very good. They still won, not be very good. And people's opinions changed on Florida State after the BC game. Mine didn't. But the AP poll dropped Florida State from three to four after that game against Boston College. Now, Boston College went on to go to a bowl and have a pretty good season. People didn't want to acknowledge it at the time. People said FCU was fortunate to beat Clemson. I didn't. I thought it was a good win. So even though you win your game doesn't mean your opinion can't change on a team. And to be honest with you, here's what I think would have happened. If Georgia beats Bama, I think Florida State's in the playoff. I really do. Because then you got Georgia, Washington, Michigan, in some order, probably reverse that. So Georgia, Michigan, Washington, and then probably Florida State. But because Bama beat Georgia and beat them the way they did, you can say, well, it's three-point margin. Did you watch the game? Did you watch the game? Did you watch Georgia defensive tackles on their back six yards downfield? Did you watch that? Did you see how it happened? Did you see the dominance on display along the offensive and defensive line of scrimmage? Did you see Georgia get held to 70-something-odd rushing yards? Did you see it? Did you see the coverage in the back end? Did you see it? And then you watch Florida State, and while their defense was incredible that night, incredible, their offense left an awful lot to be desired. So while I said for weeks, and you could say, call me a hypocrite, you could take shots at my credibility, you can say I'm some, you know, paid mouthpiece on behalf of, of the SEC, whatever. I don't, it doesn't bother me. I don't, I really don't care. Whatever you think about me is, your opinion of me is none of my business. It's really not. My parents taught me that a long time ago. Your opinion of me is none of my business. So you can feel how you want to feel. Never going to tell you how to feel. But I'm going to tell you that it's okay to change your mind. And I did. And I think the committee did. And I think a number of personalities covering the sport, their opinion changed when watching the results of Conference Championship Saturday. Doesn't make us wrong. Doesn't make us right. Just means that reasonable people reserve the right to adjust their thinking. Doesn't mean I think the committee got right. Doesn't mean I think the committee got it wrong. Just means that I thought the Bama was better. And still, I still believe Bama's better. I still believe the committee, based on their criteria, got it right. Not saying it's going to hurt any less. Not saying you have to accept it. Just saying things can change. Just like you change your opinion on Mike Norvell. Just like you change your opinion on Jordan Travis.
at one time booed off the field, contemplated quitting football, and became one of the best players in the history of Florida State football. It's okay to disagree. And if you still believe Florida State should get in, it's exactly what we'll have to do. Mmm. You smell that? That's the scent of fresh turf and freshly cracked Dr. Pepper, which can only mean one thing. It's college football season. So block off your Saturdays and swipe a sweet Dr. Pepper from the mini fridge because there's a new season of high kicks, long throws, and Fansville commercial breaks to carry you all the way to the West Coast games. That's right. The fans are back, and this year things are heating up. We're talking about hot takes, more heartbreak, more layers of face paint. Get ready to drink in all the drama this season with the help of the most delicious college football tradition there is, Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. We welcome in Booger McFarland of ESPN. He does an amazing job, obviously, covering college football and the NFL for the worldwide leader. He's a good friend of mine for 10 years now. Uh, we've been going back and forth. Seldom do we agree. Seldom do we disagree. But we seem to find the middle ground. Boog, what's going on, my friend? G-Mac, how you doing, buddy? Uh, all good, bud. We were on the opposite sides of the table on Sunday. Uh, you, very pro-Florida State, totally support that. Because I really don't think there was a right answer here, I think there was a more right answer, uh, and I think they chose potentially the lesser of two evils. But before we go into the debate, tell me your point of view and why you were so in favor of Florida State being in the college football playoff. Well, every year we have this debate. Is it, is it best or most deserving? Uh, is it eye test or resume? And I think they're kind of one and the same, because how do you determine your eye test? It's based on how they play and who they beat. Uh, like football is a game where we keep score. And and so I never really get caught up in eye test or resume because I think they're one and the same. And I think that 13 people sit in a boardroom and they decided based on their football expertise that Florida State, not that they couldn't win because they won two games without Jordan Travis. They didn't like the way they won. And to me, that's wrong. So it would have been different if Florida State would have lost. But these 13 people say, yeah, they won, but it looked ugly. They won, but we didn't like that style of play. They won, but it wasn't entertaining. And so, therefore, it's not going to be good enough to compete in the college football playoff. And that's wrong because in this current format of a 14 playoff, every week matters. Like, that's why we love the sport. We love it because every Saturday, anytime there's a, there's a, a power five team that's at the top, that's about to go down in the fourth quarter, like everybody goes over there because it matters. And, you know, I respect what Alabama did. They're 12-1. and one. I played in the SEC. I understand how, how hard it is to win. And they beat a Georgia team that hadn't lost in two and a half years. Not that that matters, but that is something that plays a role. And I get it. But they did have one loss. And that one loss was to Texas. And I think when we're judging these conferences and we've kind of set the power five aside, so it's the power five and the group of five, we have to respect that. And the fact that a team in Florida State went 13-0 in a power five, oh, by the way, they beat two SEC schools along the way, I'm, ten, I'm, I'm more than not going to give them a benefit of the doubt. And so when you put all that together, I thought they got wrong 
based on a lot of opinion and not much fact. Well, I'm good with, I think they got wrong too. Same page. Uh, I just think leaving Alabama out would have been wrong as well. So can we agree that both outcomes were less than ideal? Uh, both outcomes, whether it be Florida State getting left out, Bama getting left out, they were both wrong. I mean, either way, Bama was going to feel like they got screwed. Florida State was going to feel like they got screwed. I mean, so that what I'm trying to figure out is I don't feel like there's a right answer here. I, I feel like both sides are actually challenging. Uh, I think Bama, and, and ultimately, if Bama played Florida State, I'd pick Bama to win. That's why I'm okay with Bama being in. I got no problem with that. Um, but then well, see, again, I disagree a little bit. I disagree because I. I do think there's a, a, a right and a wrong. To me, the right and the wrong took place over the, over the course of the entire season because this came down to however you look at it. It's Texas, it's Alabama, it's Florida State. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? If, if you're saying that, that two of these teams are the same, meaning they got one loss, when you look at Texas and, and Alabama, one of those teams beat the other one. So I'm putting Florida State in, I'm leaving, leaving Alabama out. Why? Because every game matters. And that game, September the 9th, I believe, in Tuscaloosa, that game actually happened. I saw it, and it matters. And, and you can't tell me, based on the last 14 days, seven of which we saw Alabama need a, a miracle to beat Auburn, and the other seven we saw them look like the best team on the planet, erases what happened in Tuscaloosa in September. So I do think there's a right and a wrong based on the current format and how we do college football, and that is every game matters. Well, every game matters, and d- does the Florida State game over Louisville matter? would be the other question I'd ask. Because I would say that if you watched the game, which I know you did, I didn't come away impressed in that moment with Florida State. But I also have said this too. Like, you can be unimpressive in victory. That's okay. Yes. Like, same can be said with Alabama's victory over Auburn and USF. Same can be said with Georgia's victory over Georgia Tech and Auburn. Uh, Same can be said with uh, Florida State's victory over Boston College and Clemson. Like, those were not impressive victories. And I think in Washington, Arizona State, their game against Arizona at the time, their performance against Stanford, their performance defensively against SC. Like, there were a million examples in which the teams that got in, they probably fell out of favor in the court of public opinion, even in victory. So I think... This is kind of, and I've reserved the right. I have been, and you know me, we sat at the same table forever. Like, I've been supportive of Florida State being in the playoff until I saw their performance against Louisville. And I felt that performance left a lot to be desired. Whereas, let me ask you a question. Okay. Yeah. So, let me ask you a question. When you say it left a lot to be desired, let's examine it and and open it up because they won the game and they won the game by 10 points. So, when you say the performance left a lot to be desired, let's drill down. Are you saying specifically, that, okay, your defense was dominant and, and mm-hmm. stopped the Jeff Brom offense that nobody had been able to stop for a long time. But because of their quarterback play and, and the, the, the limited amount of offense they had, that soured you on the team in, as a whole? No, I think defensively they're elite. But I think part of that might have had to do a little bit with the fact that maybe Louisville offensively, not elite. Jack Plummer, not elite. Uh, wide receiver play with Thrash being hurt, not elite. Running game since Jawar Jordan's been banged up, not elite. So I think that they're, look, they were supposed to look dominant defensively. But offensively, they had to get into the Wildcat, and they really had two big plays offensively. That was, for the most part, it. It was far from a workmanlike performance. And if we go back just even a little bit further, the one thing I've said from the beginning about Florida State, where I don't think they match up with the best teams in college football, is along the offensive line. I know they have veterans. I know they have really, really veteran players, guys that have played a lot of football. But if I'm building a team right now and I'm choosing what's most important, 
quarterback is the most important position. Defensive line, I think, is the second most. Offensive line is the third most. In that order. So I know they have defensive line. But I think they're lacking, personally, at quarterback at the moment. And I think they're lacking along the offensive line. And we're talking about modern-day college football. I'm not talking about yeah. 1997. I'm not talking about 2006. I'm not talking about 1974. I'm talking about 2023. It's an era in which the quarterback really matters and the position really matters. And I'm not saying you should get out, get left out because of unavailability of key players. We talked about that too. That's a ridiculous line to have in there as far as what a team could be. You just don't know because Tom Brady came off the bench to replace Drew Bledsoe and nobody anticipated him becoming the player that he was. Nobody thought that when Romo got put in the game against whoever it was back in the day that he would have been a great player in favor of Bledsoe. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew that Noah Fafita was going to be better than Jaden Delora when he was thrust into the spotlight in his first time start against SC. So you don't, I, I think that's a ridiculous reason to point to why they were left out. I just think it, the offensive line, frankly, was my biggest concern. And it's a group that I don't think is up to par with that of the teams that are also in the college football playoff. And that's where I had the biggest issue. Not so much a quarterback, more so at, at some of the various other positions that might potentially hold them back. Yeah, that's an interesting point that, 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 quite frankly, I hadn't thought about it because I, I'd always looked at it from the quarterback point of view. You make a good point. Even the, even the most staunch no fan will tell you their offensive line is probably a, a year away from they're being fine. a year away, but they yeah, were able to okay. scheme. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, but be, because of the scheme and Mike Norvell running that GT counter and, and with the mobile quarterback, you can scheme an offensive line to be able to block a little bit. Here's my question, because we saw Michigan win six times without Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I think it was six. Yeah, six times without Jim right. Harbaugh. We saw them run the football the entire, basically, two and a half quarters against Penn State and, and win a football game. So let's just play a hypothetical. Let's say Michigan gets Michigan's quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, gets hurt against Iowa, and they mm -hmm. beat Iowa 10-3. to Are you taking Iowa out? Or taking me, are, you taking, are you taking Michigan out? At the moment? Yeah. No, I wouldn't take them out. Wouldn't measure it against everybody else. See, because I think that Florida State would probably say, okay, I get it. Our quarterback is dynamic, but just like Michigan can win with a running game and defense, how come we can't? Fair. I, I think that's a fair point. I think it's totally fair. And if the, yeah, okay. in the hypothetical scenario that you just described, yeah. would Michigan be in a position possibly to be on the outside looking in? Absolutely. I mean, it's certainly within – if Jordan Travis was healthy and they were 13-0, rolling folks, and J.J. McCarthy was out for Michigan, could those roles have been reversed? Sure. Yeah. Like, my biggest problem is that people think that there's some agenda or something along the lines of that. Like, I reserve the right to change my mind. And I said in a moment ago, I just talked for a second before you joined us. I said, even the most logical level-headed people in this industry, in supporting whatever team they like, you, Booger McFarlane, when you watched Joe Burrow as a junior, how'd you feel about him? Eh, he's pretty good. Okay. He's not great. Yeah, decent. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's fine. Like, average player, middle-of-the-road SEC guy. And then, yeah. boom, he comes back in 19. He wins the Heisman Trophy. And we all reversed course. And we said, you know what? That guy's a dude. Same yeah. thing can be said about Jordan Travis. He got booed off the field at one point in his career by the same people that are very upset with us changing our minds. If we changed our mind. Now, you've been steadfast in your belief that Florida State should be in. 
I was steadfast in my belief that Florida State should be in until I saw the game against Louisville. Same can be said, same level-headed, supportive people at Florida State that booed him off the field now welcome him and embrace him as one of the all-time greats of their program. Like, they changed their mind. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with changing your mind. My biggest thing is, if you can look at the performances on Saturday afternoon, this past Saturday, with how Alabama, people are going to say, well, it's a three-point game. It felt more than that. If you watch the game and defensive tackles for Georgia are getting mowed off the football, which you know, that doesn't happen very often. It certainly doesn't happen Mm -hmm. to Georgia. And they're up by 10 with just a couple minutes left to play. And you look at how dominant that performance was. And then you look at the lack of dominance that you saw on Saturday night. It'd be hard for you to make a strong case. Now, you can say undefeated is undefeated. Totally support that. But I think it'd be hard for you to make a case that Florida State was, in fact, superior to Alabama. But do you feel that way still? No, I I don't feel like they were superior. And we keep comparing them to Alabama. and, and, And I get it. I look at those three teams together. So, so you had Washington and Michigan on top. And then I looked at uh, Florida State at best third just because they were undefeated because they, they won a Power 5 conference. Sure. Texas and Alabama. So I kind of grouped those three together. So I'm not just comparing them against Alabama. I'm looking at the three-headed monster of Texas, Florida State, and Alabama. And I'm just saying, how do I differentiate between two out of these three teams? But I understand if you put it in a singular focus and say how good Alabama looked, how good Texas looked. Yeah, Florida State was no doubt the third group, third team out of that group as far as style points and how impressive they look. I think the bigger fact on this is, Greg, and I think you touched on this uh, during a couple of shows, is that this is the first year that they've actually taken the four best. Yeah. If you want to say that. Right. Because last year, and I brought this up. I could have made an argument that Alabama was better than TCU, but nobody was ever going to raise hell that they didn't take Alabama because TCU had one loss, even though that loss was in the conference championship game. But I think we all knew Alabama was better, right? Right. Yeah, so maybe that's the overarching point is that in the 10 years that we've done this, this is the first year that they've actually done it the way that the bylaws say do it, which is choosing the four best regardless of record. And I think – that caught a lot of people by surprise, even though I still feel like Florida State got wrong. I think that's the bigger view because we have become so accustomed to seeing it done a certain way. And it's been a little bit of resume, a little bit of eye test. And when the resume and the eye test can match, then I can say, okay, as you said, I can justify this team. I couldn't justify Alabama over TCU last year because, A, Alabama didn't win their conference, and, B, uh, Alabama had two losses. TCU only had one. But this year, because Alabama is a conference champ and Florida State's a conference champ, I can justify it based on the eye test. So I get it. And I think that's probably the most challenging thing for all of us, too, because I went into Sunday's show, and I think we talked about it before. I was fully expecting it to be Florida State. I mean, I, I really thought that that's what they'd do because that was the easiest thing to justify. And I thought the committee would take the path of least resistance. Did you feel the same way? Did you think that it would be Florida State? I thought it would be Florida State until Texas was revealed at number three. When Texas was revealed at three, I knew it was Alabama. Really? See, I didn't yeah, even, because, even at that point, I didn't think well, it. I was fully well, expecting the reason, to see the Seminoles. The reason I said it at that, at that point, because... You're putting a one-loss Texas. If, if Florida State was going to be in as an undefeated Power 5 champ, to me, they were going to be three. The fact that you put Texas at three covered your you-know-what by putting Alabama at four because you're still honored to head-to-head, and nobody could ever say, well, what about the game in September? So when I saw Texas at three, I was like, wow, they are really about to do this. 
See, like I thought, hey, Florida State, you're in, but now your prize is to go play Michigan in Los Angeles. Like that's what I was thinking. I was like, all right, well, Florida State will be next. And they penalized them because they're clearly not to the same level, but their penalty is now flying all the way across country to an area that they're not as familiar to play against a team that's been a juggernaut at times this year. So I thought still, even at that point, I was very much up in the air. I was very much caught by surprise. Uh, But when upon further review of the criteria and everything, you're right. I mean, I think that's why we were all so shocked and why everyone's so shocked. Because I don't think the argument, though, and you've made the argument, other people have made the argument. I don't think the argument, well, the, uh, the games have to matter. The games have to matter. The games do matter. I mean, Bama played 13 games just like Florida State did. Now, they didn't win them all, yeah. but they lost to the team that was ranked number three. It's not like they lost to a team that was ranked number 38. You know, I mean, they lost to a team that's also in the playoffs. So I think that game still very much matters. Uh, but at the same time, I think the committee was easier to overlook knowing that Texas was pretty good. Is that... Because they remember when Oregon was only ranked six behind Washington to five, that close loss into who it was and how it looked, yeah. and they got credit for the loss. So that was, I think, another weird criteria that the committee used a little bit as well. So did Bama maybe in a roundabout way get some credit to losing to a really good team? Perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. But in, in my mind, when I say all, the games have to matter, meaning, yeah, you get credit for winning. And, and you also get you also have to get penalized for losing like you can't get credit for losing. Now, I, I realized the committee said, OK, based on Oregon's resume and, and them having one loss, we're going to stack them right behind Washington because we feel that, quote unquote, a good loss. However, they are still behind them. They are the best one loss team in our mind, but they are still behind Washington, who they lost to. And so in my mind, the reason we watch this sport every Saturday and to a certain extent, this is about to go away. We watch this sport because you know that if you get one loss, man, you're on life support. If yeah. you get two losses, man, the season's, o- season's over. If you get three losses like it, like that boy at, at, at Clemson, they want to fire you. So <laughs> it matters. Like the sport, every Saturday matters, dude. Like it, it's it, it's so fun. We're so passionate about it. And when and when I make the statement that every game has to matter, I, Texas needs to get a bump for going to Tuscaloosa, and Alabama needs to get a little bit of a demotion to look for losing that game by ten points. I'm not really concerned that Alabama struggle with South Florida. Like, I get it. Some of these kids wake up on the wrong side of the bed some days. They don't play well. But I got to give them credit for winning and finding a way to win. I'm not going to give you a credit for having a close loss. Like, that really doesn't. And I think the committee has said it before. Like, we value who you who you beat. We're not going to give you credit for losing the game, even though style points matter. And, and, and at the end of the day, you can say I lost by seven. Okay, whatever. You still lost. Because this game is a game where we keep score. And if we're going to keep score, then W's and L's have to matter. And they have to they have to matter both ways. So when I say every game counts, I still don't think they counted the loss by Alabama to Texas. If they would have, and in my opinion, regardless of whether Alabama won the SEC or not, Florida State would be in because they've told us, we even though we know that the SEC and the ACC are different, they've told us we're going to put these five conferences in this box. Not that they're equal, but we got to treat them the same. That's why we call them the power five. We're going to treat them the same. And the other group of five is over here. And Florida State won one of those. And so I got to give them respect, regardless whether it's the ACC, the Pac-12, the big team, whatever it is, I got to give them the respect of winning that conference. And I got to give Alabama the respect also. So how do I differentiate between Alabama and Florida State? One has a loss. And so in my mind, they didn't honor the every, every game matters uh, mantra that I, I've been throwing around. Yeah, I think it's perfectly reasonable. Uh, I, I wouldn't push back, couldn't push back, because every point you bring up is valid. Uh, I think that 
like I said, there was no right answer here. I, I really believe that it, they chose, in their opinion, the lesser of two evils. Um, and to have a one-loss champ looking the way they did, playing the way they did in that particular game, and then a one uh, no-loss champ playing the way they did in that particular game on Saturday, that was ultimately what uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. Finally, we'll get you out here on this. How much do you think ceiling has to do with it? Uh, more along the lines of ceiling meaning what a team is capable of in the biggest moment of their season. Meaning, for Florida State, their biggest game, their biggest moment was against LSU at their number 13 or 14 in the country, wherever they finished up. That was their best moment, technically, by their resume. That was their yeah. best moment. Bama's mm-hmm. best moment came in the last week of the regular season. One was in week one, one was in week 13, and it was right before when the committee made that decision. It was against the team that was at times number one, currently number six. So win over number six, Texas win over number four, Florida State win over number 13 or 14, wherever LSU finished up. So how much do you think yeah. that factored in? I think the ceiling always factors in. I, I think we're a society that's always built on whatever you've done for me lately. And it's amazing how that, and, and, and trust me, and you know, I asked Nick Saban this uh, on the show about Jalen Murrow. He's made tons of improvement. I mean, he's kind of a fringe Heisman candidate right now, if you ask me. But there was a period of time where, I mean, he looked terrible. But we forget that now because of the improvement that he's made and, and how he looks now and how Tommy Reese, I think, is doing a really, really good job of calling plays and, and, and not trying to fit him in a box like you you have to uh, accept the mobile quarterback. You have to accept that this guy is not Joe Montana. He is going to play a little bit differently. And I think when Tommy Reese did that, Jalen Miro took off. So, yeah, I get it. The ceiling is different. The wow factor is different. And I, and I don't think anybody would even disagree with this point I'm about to make. I think the benefit of the doubt is also there because I think Nick Saban in Alabama, or if it were Kirby Smart in Georgia, based on the history and based on what they've done, are going to get the benefit of the doubt. And yeah. Florida State and Mike Novell just aren't going to get it. And maybe the ACC as a whole is not going to get it. I think Dabo would have got it. But certain coaches in that situation, I don't think get it because when you're in that room, you're asking yourself, do I think Mike Norvell can get this done based on what he has? I don't know. But I guarantee you, if Jalen Miro gets hurt and Alabama still wins and they got to ask themselves the question, can Ty Simpson or Tyler Buckner get this done? Ah, yeah, but it's Nick Saban. So he gets the benefit of the doubt. And so I think that factors in there also because you got 13 humans in a room that have to go off of what they know. And here's what we know. Nick Saban has won, what, six, seven national championships. Kirby's won two. Kirby's got a 29-game winning streak. Like, the benefit of the doubt matters. And I don't think Norvell had enough cachet, nor do I think he had enough um, pellets on the wall to get the benefit of the doubt that regardless of how he looked, that he would have his team ready to play. I yeah, think maybe that played a factor too. Yeah, maybe it's earned. I mean, I, I think that's, I mean, to me, I think it's kind of bogus. Um, <laughs> I, I get it. Uh, but here's the other thing I'd say is like, for those that are saying bring back the computers, well, in the final ranking of the BCS, if you did a BCS this year, Bama would have been yeah. three, Florida State would have been four. So even in the computers, Bama would have been ahead of Florida State. So for those that are in favor of bringing back the computers, maybe that's not necessarily the best way of going about their business as well. All right, finally, Book, who's winning? Who you got winning the whole thing? Texas. Texas. Like it. All right. I, I think I, I think Texas, top to bottom. And obviously, these teams have to play their best. I mean, if Alabama plays their best, if Michigan plays their best, if I had to rank them, like regardless of ranking, let's just take the four teams now and forget everything else. Rank the four teams based on based on the, the eye test and the talent. I think Texas is one. I think 
Alabama is two. I think Michigan is three. And I think Washington is four based on just the amount of talent that they have on their football team and the multitude of ways that they can beat you. Yeah, I think that I, I, I think that's how I would rank them because if, if you're Washington, here's the thing you have to wonder if you're Washington. Can you deal with big boy football? At some point when this game is not basketball on grass, can you play big boy football? Can you stop big boy football? If if you're Texas, here's the thing you got to wonder. Can your back seven <laughs> guard anybody? Because I saw Donovan Smith in Houston throw for 300 yards. Like I've seen several quarterbacks throw for 300 yards against his Texas secondary. We know you can stop the run. If I'm Alabama, here's my biggest concern. If they take away the run and they make the quarterback stay in the pocket, can he can he make enough throws? And if you're Michigan, which J.J. McCarthy is going to show up? The guy against Maryland where he was absolutely abysmal or the guy that we've seen look like an NFL quarterback throughout the season. So I, I think all these teams have their flaws, but just based on pure talent, that's how I would rank them. Yeah, it's a, and a little bit's matchup-driven too. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I think we got yeah. some good matchups in the semis. Great stuff, Bug. Appreciate you, my friend. Always anytime, man. Let me know. Thanks. You the man. Introducing the AT&T 5G helmet, the world's first football helmet designed to level the playing field for deaf and hard-of-hearing players. Radio communication continues to be the primary way professional football coaches and players communicate during the game. But if the highest level of football requires athletes to hear, it presents a significant gap for athletes that cannot. This discovery created an opportunity to apply the power of AT&T's 5G technology to make sports more inclusive. AT&T is a staple of college sports, always exploring ways to use the expertise in connectivity to advance the way coaches, athletes, and fans experience the game. Our collaboration led to the first ever 5G-connected helmet. It sends the coach's play call from the device on the sidelines directly to a visual display lens on the helmet, meaning it does not rely on sound or hearing to communicate. So for the first time ever, these players can always get the same information from their coach as their hearing counterparts. The AT&T 5G helmet. AT&T connecting changes everything. Learn more at att.com slash 5G helmet. Helmet is not for sale. AT&T is a proud supporter of the Gallaudet Bison. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. A little over 48 hours from now, we will award the Heisman Trophy. Remember, this is the award that's supposed to go to the most outstanding player in the sport. Not the MVP of the best team, not the most recognizable player on the team that's ranked number one, but it's supposed to go to the most outstanding player in the sport, which is why forever I've long considered putting defensive players on the list. Half, multiple times. Roquan Smith, Quinn and Williams have both cracked my top five. In some cases, they've cracked my top two. I've had on several different occasions wide receivers that 
are deserving and under consideration. And in a rare instance, there was a point in which Quentin Nelson, the outstanding right guard for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, if the ballot was four, would have probably occupied the fourth spot. That's right, a right guard. Why? Because he was that outstanding. But there are 870 voters when it comes to the Heisman Trophy. Far too many, in my mind, several of which are members of the media. And of course, every single former Heisman winner has a vote. I personally think that that number should be probably in the vicinity of 50 in addition to those that won the award. It's a very close fraternity. And I think the members of said fraternity should have the largest say as to who is going to win the trophy. I don't have a problem, though, with the candidates this year, because if you look at it, it's actually been a little bit more challenging. I struggle at times to award and consider just quarterbacks, but it feels like we're trending in that direction. Of course, Marvin Harrison being the lone outlier this year, he is the wide receiver that will be making his way to New York this weekend for a potential run at the Heisman Trophy. I don't think he's a realistic candidate at the moment. I'd be surprised if he wasn't fourth, but we shall see. The guy that I think is going to win is Jaden Daniels. He had an amazing year statistically. He's completed 72% of his passes, leads the country in passing efficiency, leads the country in yards per attempt, leads the country in rushing yards by a quarterback. He also has a combined 50 touchdowns through the air and on the ground. Now, it's not often, though, that we see a quarterback from a three-loss team in the regular season win the Heisman. Now, Ricky Williams won it in 98 with an 8-3 and three Texas team. Tim Tebow won it in 2007. Robert Griffin won it for Baylor in 2011. And Lamar Jackson in 2016 all won the award despite having three losses in the regular season. You probably ask why. Because the performance was so ridiculous that you could not overlook just how outstanding, and that's the key word, those players were. The other guys that are going forward at the moment are Bo Nix and Michael Penix. I think those are the top three, however way you sort them. I think Penix will probably be ahead of Bo Nix, but I don't know for sure. Now, Bo Nix leads the country in completion percentage, second in efficiency, and is tied with Jaden Daniels for the lead in touchdown passes with 40. Just three picks, too, considering 435 attempts. That's pretty dang efficient. But when you go back and you kind of look at why Bo Nix likely won't win the award, you would have probably have a tough time wondering, when was the Heisman moment? When was it? Because you can point to the entire season of excellence, and even to an extent how Jaden Daniels performed against Alabama in a losing effort. When he went out of the game, it felt as though all the wind at that point had gone out of the sails for LSU. Now, will Bo Nix ultimately win it? Perhaps, but I don't think you could cite a performance against, say, Cal and use that as the, quote, Heisman moment. Not saying it, it wasn't a great performance because it was phenomenal. And to be honest with you, I thought his best game came against Oregon State, but that was a Friday night, and I just wonder whether or not that will have enough of a stick considering the two biggest moments of Bo Nix's season against Washington the first time around, against Washington the second time around, he came up short. It's a really big audience, really big platform, and to go 0-2 in the two biggest games of the year, I think is why he probably won't bring home the award. But had he won last week, I'd been surprised if anyone could have potentially leaped him. And then on the other side, Penix. 
uh, leads the country in passing yards. He's completed 66% of his passes, 33 and 9 touchdown interception ratio. Now, he finished the season regu- uh, regular season undefeated. And this is one of those examples. Most outstanding player on one of the most outstanding teams. If the voters want to go by those bylaws, it'd be hard to overlook Michael Penix as a deserving candidate. I think he's a legit, a legit football player. I think he's going to be an unbelievable football player for a very long time. And people will say, well, I don't know about the measurables. I don't know about all that other stuff. I think he's going to be a good pro. I mean, maybe I'm crazy, but I think he's got a chance to be really, really good. I think if you look, though, three touchdowns against against Utah, uh, the third down completions that he's occurred against Oregon State, winning again against Oregon in the second time around. I think it's one of those things when when they expected him to be super elite from a statistical standpoint, he probably wasn't, but those are the games that people probably weren't paying that close attention to. I don't know how many people were watching the Arizona State game. I don't know how many people were watching uh, you know, some of the games there in the middle of the season. But when you had to have it against the likes of USC, when you had to have it against the likes of Oregon twice, when you had to have it in a rainy evening against the Oregon State Beavers, he got it. So I think Penix, a deserving candidate. Then Marvin Harrison, who is amazing. And if we're talking about actual physical potential, actual NFL pedigree that's coming up, Marvin Harrison's going to make a lot of money for a very long time. And there are a few moments here throughout the season where you really felt like he was by far the best player on the field. The most notable was probably against Penn State. He was the lone difference in that game, it felt like. Two teams matched up really, really closely. One had Marvin Harrison, one did not. But this trip to New York gives Ohio State a Heisman finalist in five of the last six seasons. Part of it might be because there were some injuries too that he had to overcome. Emeka Ibuka was out for nearly a month. Travion Henderson missed some time at running back as well. He had double teams almost throughout the year, but when they absolutely had to have it, he had 100 yards in eight of the Ohio State's 12 games and scored a touchdown in 10 of the 12. He's amazing, an amazing, amazing football player, but the guy that I think is being the most overshadowed And I'm going to be honest, I'm not allowed to divulge what my ballot is just yet. I will tell you on a Monday edition of Always College Football because I don't want to lose my vote, even though if it was lost and the tree falls in the woods, do you really hear it? Uh, There's 800,000 votes. So if I don't cast mine, maybe it's not that big a deal. But I'm going to be honest with you. Tell me a guy that meant more to his team than Jordan Travis. Name one. You can make a case of Jaden Daniels, right? You can make a case Bo Nix. You can make a case for Michael Penix. But if you take the guy in each of those three examples, if Garrett Nussmeyer was starting for LSU, would they still be pretty good? Would they have potentially gone 9-3? and three? Would they have looked the way they looked offensively? I don't know the answer to that. But I do have a quantifiable and measurable difference in Florida State's offense when Jordan Travis was under center than when Tate Rodemaker and Brock Glenn were. Now they went on, they finished fifth, they were undefeated, and there's not going to be a ton of stats that are going to back up his candidacy. And of course, he missed two and a half games, or a game and a half, if you will. Game and a half before the voting opened, two and a half, you take the whole thing into account. But there was a noticeable difference when Jordan Travis was on the field for the Seminoles, which is why, based on what I saw, from the quarterback position in his absence, I feel like he is among the most outstanding players in college football. Should he be in New York? Absolutely. Was he in my top three? Yes. Was he in my top two? Potentially. 
You'll have to tune in on Monday to find exactly how I ranked him. But I expect it to be Jaden Daniels' award come Saturday night. Transfer portal is a hot topic of debate at the moment, and we will continue to fill you in with all those that enter and exit. It's a little bit difficult in our line of work. We tape the show and we record the show a day or two in front of when it is it goes out. So some of the stuff that we discuss in the transfer portal might at times be dated because a guy will have either entered and exited, entered and gone elsewhere. By the time you listen to our show, we're going to do the best we can to update you as best we can, right? So understand the portal was launched. It was to give players an opportunity, but an opportunity to kind of add clarity to what was a very murky system. Now, you have some time. You have a 30-day period beginning on Monday. Uh, you also have a 15-day period in the spring in order to be immediate elgi immediately eligible under the NCAA's one-time transfer rule. And grad transfers can enter the portal anytime. So there's a, a lot to take into account with that. And I'm especially interested too, especially knowing that coaching movement, and we've seen when coaches take new jobs, a la Michigan State, a la Indiana, a la Texas A&M. Guys are going in and then they might get retained. They might move back out. But one stat to keep in mind from last year's portal, portal cycle, less than 4% of S FBS scholarship players who entered the portal ended up withdrawing their name from the portal and staying put. So persuading them to adjust their line of thinking is not impossible. It happens, but it's about one out of 25. So it's pretty rare when you take that into account. So some of the big names that you've seen go in, the Walter Nolans of the world, uh, some of the great quarterbacks that have gone in already. It's highly unlikely that, say, Cam Ward, based on the stats, is going to return to Washington State. Now, let's start there. The quarterbacks are what we're going to do today, and we'll do some of the other positions here in the days to come. Cam Ward, I think, might be the top dog in the portal at the moment. Now, he started his career at Carnet Word, has amazing talent, showed some upside when he was at Washington State, and has thrown for over 7,000 yards in the two years there in Pullman. 61 to 16 touchdown to interception. If you watch him, he does an amazing job of moving around in the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield, and delivering the ball really accurately. Now, he announced on December 1st that he would enter the portal as a graduate transfer, but some people still at the moment think that it's a real possibility that he actually decides to go pro. We will keep you updated because I think that is the biggest fish at the moment currently in the portal. Dylan Gabriel's also in the portal. He started his career at UCF prior to leaving for Oklahoma, had a really good year this year, was a unanimous first team all Big 12 selection, and is coming off of a season in which he went for over 3,600 passing yards. He was fifth in the FBS, had 42 touchdowns, six interceptions, and about nine and a half yards per attempt, which is really, really impressive. He led the number three scoring offense and has had a really good turnaround from where they were a year ago to where they're at right now. The 49 games as a starter, too, is the high mark on the board. Very few guys have started that many games that are currently in the portal at the moment. So he looks like Oregon might be the team to beat for his services, but we We'll keep you posted as best we can. Riley Leonard from Duke. It sounds like he's going to Notre Dame. Seems like it's a slam dunk, at least at the moment. He's 100% on some sites that that's his next stop. Here's what I'll say about Riley Leonard. He's a great athlete. He's a great job of moving around in the pocket and creating with his legs. I think his accuracy is really sporadic, especially on some of the downfield throws. So he's going to have to progress in that area if he's going to become the well-rounded star 
that I think he could potentially become. Now, we've seen guys struggle with accuracy early in their career and get better as time goes along. So hopefully that happens for Riley Leonard when he finds a new home from Duke. Will Howard's also in the portal. 6'5", 242, really big, physically impressive young man. As a true freshman in 2020, but has really developed into a rock-solid quarterback. I don't think that there's necessarily a guy that's going to wow you as far as what he's going to do, take over the game. Not like a Cam Ward where you can just put him and just let him run around. I think in the right system, though, he can be really decisive, really accurate, has the measurables, though, that could potentially lead to him being a very productive starter from wherever he goes. I also think that Kyle McCord falls under the similar category to Will Howard. I think he's got all the potential in the world. Was a little surprised, frankly, after waiting for years behind C.J. Stroud. He won the job. It looked like things were going to take off, and I thought there were some really good moments. 24-6 and touchdown-interception ratio, and he might be an example of a guy that's kind of holding out perhaps for another option, or he'll return to school with a little more money in his NIL war chest. So that's a guy that I'm very intrigued by because I just don't understand why he went in unless there was a conversation behind the scenes that we are unaware of. DJ Uyunglele is also in the portal. They haven't ruled out the possibility of him going pro. Thought maybe there was a chance he would go with Jonathan Smith to Oregon State, but it doesn't sound like that's coming to fruition because it sounds like at the moment, Aiden Childs, who we'll talk about in a minute, is the guy that's kind of linked right now with Sparty. So we'll see what happens with DJ Uyunglele. Started, of course, his career with Clemson, transferred to Oregon State, and has had a really nice start to his Oregon State career. Maybe he'll finish there. We shall find out. Tyler Van Dyke, tough to get a pinpoint as to what he is. Started the season like gangbusters. Was number two in the country in pass efficiency in the first couple weeks of the season, and then it fell off. Interceptions became a huge issue. Decision-making became a huge issue, but the talent is there. Now, if you could just get the consistency, he could be a potential huge addition for somebody in the portal at some point. Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina is back in the portal. He tested it last year, but there were some issues with being able to transfer. There were some places he wanted to go, thought about going, couldn't get in, things like that. The numbers of the transfers just didn't necessarily work out. The The credits didn't work out. So I'd be curious to see if things actually will work for the three-time Sunbelt Player of the Year. He's thrown for over 10,000 yards in his college career. Tyler Shuck has announced that he's heading to Louisville. I think it's a great fit. When Tyler Shuck is healthy, He's a dude. The problem is he has not been healthy very often, but that I thought was a really good pickup for Jeff Brom and his staff. Will Rogers at Mississippi State, he's linked at the moment to Washington. I'm curious too, because it doesn't feel like a great fit. Full disclosure, Will Rogers, I think is going to work perfect in an air raid style of attack. He's played 40 games in his career, started 40 games, one of the most experienced players available, thrown for over 12,000 yards, but it's been in a very, very specific system. So will that translate to an offense like Washington that's going to push the ball down the field? That's a question that I have, at least at the moment. And then finally, Aiden Childs from Oregon State. Now, few freshmen will be as coveted as this guy in the portal. Now, a lot of people believe that he has the potential to be a huge difference maker. He's only 18 years old, and he regularly went in multiple times. When the game was still in doubt, the third offensive possession he would go in and was really successful in limited opportunities. He produced nearly 400 total yards this year, seven touchdowns, and led scoring drives of 11 of 17 possessions that he was in for this season. So Aiden Childs is another guy to keep an eye on. But that's just a few of the quarterbacks. There's several others that we will break down, and we will update you again on Monday with some of the guys that have since entered the portal and some of the decisions that have since been made.
Army-Navy, one of the great games that we have in college football, one of my favorite rivalries that will be played here in just a couple days. I can't wait. And the Commander-in-Chief's trophy is officially on the line. Of course, the winner also gets to sing second, which is what everybody talks about when it relates to this game. Army can claim the hardware that goes to the annual series between the service academies with a win, but a midshipman victory will result in a three-way tie because of Air Force's win over Navy earlier in the season. Army also defeated Air Force 23-3. to So in that scenario, the Falcons would retain the trophy because they claimed it last year. Army won the Commander-in-Chief trophy outright in 2020. It was retained in 21, and Navy possessed it last in 2019. Additionally, this is really interesting, too, because the winner of this game will finish the season with a 500 record. Now, even though both teams are 5-6, and six, neither are going to a bowl game. Army has two wins over FCS teams, which makes the Black Knights ineligible, while the Middies, they didn't have enough victories on Selection Day to be considered for a postseason burst. So this is the last game for those seniors, and what a way to go out. Now, this season, both Army and Navy, much like most seasons, they rank in the top 15 rushing offenses in the country. Both are averaging more than 200 yards on the ground. The one thing that's different this year, though, if you haven't watched, Army is not running your traditional triple option. They're operating about 60% from the shotgun. So things have changed just a little bit for Army with the way they style their formations. I'm not sure why they've gotten away from what's worked for so long because it's been met, met with some mixed results, but they've adjusted quite a bit. So when you turn it on on Saturday and you haven't watched Army, you're probably going to be a little surprised because it's a lot different than what we've been accustomed to seeing. Navy is 30th overall, though, in rush defense. And if you look at this game in the past, most of the time it feels like it's going to be decided by the defense that holds up a little bit better. Navy is giving up just 122 rushing yards per game, and they've given up only 12 touchdowns on the ground. Meanwhile, Army they haven't been quite as good against the run. They're giving up about 180 yards per game. That's 116th and close to one and a half more yards per carry than the Navy midshipmen. They're giving up about five yards of carry against 3.6. A couple trends in this game. This game is traditionally veered towards the under. 16 straight years, Army and Navy game went under until last year. Last year, they scored 32 combined points, which just soared right past the over in this particular game. The total is 27 and a half. I might lean, especially given Army's challenges on the defensive side, I might lean towards the over yet again. And knowing the Army has adjusted their attack just a little bit, I'm taking Navy in the game. I think they pull off the upset. And as a result, they will split the Commander-in-Chief's trophy three ways, meaning the Air Force will ultimately retain the trophy because they had it a year ago. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get the show. We so appreciate all the people that have followed us all throughout the season, and we promise to continue to keep you updated with signing day, transfer portal, coaching carousel, bowl game previews. We have a lot to look forward to here in December as well. So for all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, the other Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day, and remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.